The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special edition of True Restoration, Ra- True Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and I am joined this evening by my co-host, Nicholas Wansbutter. And we have the good, pre- the good pleasure and privilege this evening of being joined by His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, as well as Father Anthony Ciccata of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Welcome to the program, Your Excellency and Father, and thanks for taking the time to be here. Hello, thank you. Tonight our topic is the recent revelations which broke yesterday morning concerning Jorge Bergoglio, a.k.a. Francis's lengthy open letter to the founder of La Repubblica magazine, Eugenio Scalfari, stating that non-believers would be forgiven by God if they followed their consciences. Uh, the headline yesterday morning in the UK Independent, and uh, you know, really plenty of other newspapers, was this. Pope Francis assures atheists, you don't have to believe in God to go to heaven. There was also quite another scandalous and curious story yesterday that came out from the newly appointed Vatican Secretary of State, Pietro Perlin, who says that Bergoglio believes now may be the time for married priests. So we're going to be discussing these topics this evening and taking your phone calls, which we're going to open the phone lines right now, so feel free to call in with your comments or questions on this topic, and we will get you on the air with His Excellency and Father. The phone number to call in is 949-272-9417. Again, that's 949-272-9417. We're screening calls, uh, so the trolls don't need to waste their time here. We'll also be monitoring our, uh, our Twitter feed. If you want to submit a question to our Twitter handle, at True Restoration, we'll get the question on the air for His, Lux- for his Excellency and Father. Now, for those of you who haven't read the stories, we've posted links on the live page which you're listening to this show at, and you can read them for yourselves. And I guess the first and best way to approach this topic, uh, before we elaborate on exactly what was said, is briefly to get your initial reactions and your thoughts to these stories, uh, Your Excellency and Father, and how they hit you. We'll get everyone's thoughts. So let's start with you, Your Excellency. What was... <laughs> What was your initial reaction to yesterday's revelations? Well, I I would say it's the natural outcome of Vatican II. Uh, Vatican II in Dignitatis Humanae essentially put human conscience over dogma, and now they're just drawing it out to putting it over belief in the existence of God itself. Uh, and uh, so to me, it, it was, well, what else is new? Uh, you know, I was, it's, I was shocked to see him say this. Uh, it had never been said before, but it is Vatican II. Uh, I think that what we're seeing in Bergoglio is uh, Vatican II in its pure state. This man was educated during Vatican II. He was a seminarian and a young priest during Vatican II, uh, that's, he, he absorbed it. He absorbed its spirit. And when he speaks, all I hear is the 1960s, that, in which I was uh, very young too, younger than he is, but uh, where I heard all of these things that he's, he's trotting out, he, he stopped in 1969. I mean, that's his world, is, is the world of revolution against the traditions of the Catholic Church and against Catholic dogma. He detests 
Catholic tradition, and he wants to see it set aside and and replaced with a whole new religion and a whole new church, essentially. And uh, whereas it, the other Vatican coup, so-called popes, Paul VI, John Paul II, and Ratzinger, uh, Benedict XVI, had a certain, I would say, reserve. Uh, they sort of knew the limits, and especially Ratzinger understood the necessity of continuity in order to give Vatican II credibility. This one is completely off the rails, and and just wants to uh, let everything loose, uh, which to us, uh, you know, is is uh, a, a welcome thing indirectly because. He is showing Vatican II for what it really is. So that was my reaction to it. Father, yours? Yes, my reaction was uh, similar to something uh, Bishop Sanborn said a little bit earlier. Uh, Bergoglio is clearly a man of the 60s, and the ideas that he expressed in his uh, letter to this uh, atheist uh, summoned up the uh, different ideas that I had heard in the 1960s about uh, the theology of Karl Rahner, uh, the anonymous Christian, uh, etc., and all of this this uh, opening to the modern world and, and false uh, 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 philosophy. So uh, my reaction was uh, uh, similar that it 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 harkens back uh, to the 60s, and it's uh, rather shocking. It was rather shocking to read his statements, uh, of course, because, again, like Bishop Sanborn, uh, I believe that uh, uh, Ratzinger, before his election and after his election, was uh, more discreet about actually the consequences of Vatican II. So this is this is pure Vatican II. And it's uh, shocking in the sense that it would be so open. One reaction... Uh, I got today in an email from uh, a fellow. He said that uh, he said this, dear father. While swaying on the fence toward sedevacantism, this morning's assurance to atheists regarding salvation cinched it. Where do I get a membership card? <laughs> <laughs> so, there's your reaction in the pew. <laughs> what about you, Nicholas? What was what was your reaction to all this? Well, uh, my reaction was maybe a little bit different as someone who grew up in the Novus Ordo and was in the Novus Ordo until just only 10 years ago. Uh, to me, it didn't seem like the 60s. To me, it seemed like he's just saying explicitly what every Novus Ordo Catholic I know believes um, and, and all the people I grew up with and uh, what I was taught at the Jesuit high school that I went to that... This is what they believe, so he's. I guess it's a little bit surprising to finally have a leader of theirs finally come out and saying it because they've been careful not to be that explicit. Because I think if you know, there's obvious elements that uh, w wouldn't like that, like the gentleman who uh, emailed Father Chicada. So that was my first uh, reaction. My my second reaction when uh, he gets into the talk about you know their individual conscience and how uh, you know if if he and his if the atheist in his conscience just to paraphrase is uh obeying his own conscience then 
he's good. So I thought, okay, so if in your conscience you think it's okay to kill Jews, then, you know, <laughs> the Holocaust was okay if uh, people that did that were in good conscience, or if you think of children, uh, unborn children aren't human, you're in good conscience and carry on. Hmm. Yes, the the whole question really centers on this, whether an atheist can be in good conscience. Uh, and because I don't think we should accuse Bergoglio saying atheism is a good thing. Uh, I don't think he would say that. What his, what his error is, is that an atheist can achieve justification before God and at the same time, in good conscience, in all good conscience, deny his existence. And the, the central question is, is that possible? Is that possible? It, it, mm. it goes back, and you brought up something, what you learned at the Jesuit High School in Novus Ordo, and that is that the Novus Ordo is naturalistic. You go to heaven if you're a great guy. Uh, we see this in Novus Ordo funerals where you're wheeled in with a sheet over your casket and and the uh, priest gets up and says, uh, you know, that you were a great golfer and you were playing golf with God now. <laughs> or you, you know, you're a nice Italian lady and you're, you're making spaghetti in heaven. This is very typical of Novus Ordo funerals. And what is praised is natural virtue. There is no praise of the supernatural observance of the law of God, but natural virtue. So you go to heaven for being a great guy. Now, go back to what Bergoglio said a few months ago, where he said, atheists do good. You remember that comment? You know, they, oh, they, yeah, they do. do good, you know. Now, there's an orthodox way to take that, and that is that, yes, even a non-believer, a pagan, uh, an atheist, is capable of naturally good acts. You know, if he helps someone save his life in a, in a sinking ship, that's a naturally good act, and he is capable of that. That's not an evil act. Uh, but there's an unorthodox way to take that, and that is in the naturalistic sense that the atheist posits an act which is pleasing to God by being naturally good. That is, is uh, actually heresy, because it means that we can please God without faith. And it's contrary to is what St. Paul says in the Epistle to the Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the Council of Trent quotes that in, uh, in the section on the necessity of faith uh, in order to please God and to, for justification. That is the central issue here. I think my initial reaction to this uh, was much of Nicholas's reaction. I was not shocked by this. Um, it, I've seen a lot of people, especially folks who are a little older, who knew the church before the council and had the benefit of receiving a Catholic education when things were sane, they are just losing their minds. Whereas, you know, having spent most of my life in the Novus Ordo up till about a decade ago, um, this is, just like Nicholas said, what they preach. The second thing that I... I've been wondering is, you know, have we reached, you know, there's a term in chess, and it's called a um, in-game, and it's what you're doing at the very end of the game to try and checkmate your opponent. And I'm just wondering if we've reached the in-game of Vatican II, I mean, because this is, uh, if anybody has uh, has studied Vatican II or listened to many broadcasts on this issue, um, you know, ecumenism is a central problem, and this is the manifestation at in its purest form of ecumenism. So, 
are we reaching the end game? The third thing that hit me was I thought to myself, okay, how how in the world are uh, traditional Catholics, and that covers a very wide swath, going to try and defend this? Um, because this is really indefensible. It, it, it's really a denial. If, if you look at the in the first two lines of the Athanasian Creed, you know, whosoever will be saved before all things is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. So, but, you know, that's an express denial. So that's kind of what my initial thoughts on this were. Well, we have membership say, cards uh, available, so if you need them. Uh, <laughs> we're working on the design. <laughs> it incorporates, I think, a beach ball and a Renault. <laughs> but for so a change, I think it I'd will like... move certain people to over the edge on this, because how do you justify that? As you say, how can you possibly say that this man is a Catholic? And when he says that the atheists, you know, can can be forgiven by God and be justified before God. I mean, my goodness, what can you say except hermeneutic of denial that somehow he didn't say it or he didn't he didn't mean it or you know or it was the entourage or something like that. But uh, one point I think that is uh, that's uh, interesting that uh, you made your excellency and that came up in uh, something that Justin and Nicholas said is the uh, attitude uh, of people. Now, as a result of Vatican II, the majority of, of uh, people who profess to be Catholics toward what Bergoglio is saying and what he's doing. And there's a poll uh, that I saw this morning that said that he has an 80% approval rating uh, among uh, people in the U.S. who identify themselves as Catholics. So that shows one side of uh, the revolution that people have swallowed this uh, naturalistic concept of the Catholic faith, and that while some may be uncomfortable, generally grosso modo, as they say, uh, he is a personage that uh, Catholics approve of. That that 80%, by the way, I think is approximately the same percentage uh, as of those who deny the uh, doctrine of transubstantiation. Yes, mm-hmm. you look at the polls, and about 10% less, I think 90% approve of birth control. So that means that, uh, and usually, you know, if you look in those polls, if there's always a 20% that are sort of holding it together, more or less. And uh, I, I think uh, you're looking at uh, people like what you'd call the Novus Ordo conservative there. Uh, but uh, that 80% is, is you know, they are the, the Novus Ordo Catholics who are very happy with a naturalistic pope and and who are, are just uh, as pleased as punch that he's doing these things. Uh, now, uh, Milord, uh, one thing that I've seen, or one reaction I've seen, is uh, when we were talking about you know, how can people justify this, I've seen some things from the other side that people who have... Um, I guess we could say an extreme understanding of uh, the need for water baptism and outside the church being no salvation. They're they're saying, well, I don't see why traditional Catholics uh, have any problem with what Francis is saying because that's what they all believe anyway. Well, that's that's uh, that's false. Uh, And as I said, the central issue is whether it is possible for an atheist to be in good conscience. 
the and we, we should really address that right now. The in order to uh, be justified, it is absolutely necessary, according to the divine doctrine of the Catholic Church, the Council of Trent, that we have the virtue of faith, supernatural faith, not merely that we know that God exists and we've reasoned to His existence, but that we believe in Him. You know, credo in unum deum. I believe in one God, and uh, the uh, and that is the the God of Catholicism. That's not some other gods that might be around. That is uh, defined by the Church. Now, the, the faith is a virtue of the intellect infused by God, and in order for it to exist, it must have an object. That is that it must assent to certain truths. Now, the very least of those truths to which supernatural faith must assent, and this is also in the Council of Trent, is uh, that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And that's a direct quote from, uh, from St. Paul in his epistle to the Hebrews. So, at least those two dogmas must be adhered to with supernatural faith. So, getting back to your question, this means that if you fail to believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him, it is impossible that you have the act uh, that you uh, have the virtue of faith, you cannot have the act of faith which is necessary for salvation, justification and salvation. And therefore, it is impossible that you be in good conscience. On the other hand, a person who is invincibly ignorant of the Catholic faith, and this is the teaching of the Catholic Church, Pope Pius IX, he is capable of being in good conscience about his errors, provided that he has the true virtue of faith, and inspired and, and infused by God, and that he assent to at least those two truths that are mentioned by St. Paul. Some theologians say he must also assent to the Incarnation and to the Redemption. He must know those and assent to those. They add that as part of his requirement. But all agree that somebody who uh, is... Uh, no, there's, uh, that, uh, that there is a possibility for someone who believes in God and who assents to certain truths, and not, but not all of the truths of the Catholic faith through invincible ignorance, is capable of supernatural faith and acts of justification. So the, the point here is that without belief in the existence of God, the virtue of faith and the act of faith are impossible, and therefore the only thing left to the, to the atheist is hell. Well, Your Excellency, I think that uh, if Bergoglio were standing here you know, right listening to this conversation, he would disagree with everything you just said. Because <laughs> if you <laughs> if you uh, if you read the um, the the lengthy reply he gave, he put he speaks in there specifically about this issue about atheism and faith and whatnot, and he says in his you know in his pure modernist fashion, it is not something exterior or forced but rather something that emanates from inside and imposes itself. So he would say that whatever emanates from inside and imposes itself upon the atheist is good faith. Yeah, that's because he's a pure modernist. He's not a Catholic. Yeah, absolutely. He's a modernist. You see, modernism says that 
your religion comes from an interior encounter with God, a religious experience. And he talks about that all the time, this interior encounter with God. And therefore, if you have... Uh, it doesn't come from dogma. It doesn't come from the church's teaching. Uh, it comes from this experience that you have. And obviously, various people have various experiences. And and that's what modernism says, that it's all one big faith. That for them is faith, that religious experience. And uh, that uh, this uh, it doesn't have any dogma as its object. That it's just a, an interior experience. That's why he would say that. And therefore, there, the atheist has his own interior experience, and he might have an experience that God doesn't exist, but I guess that's okay, too. In fact, Your Excellency, the, in the letter itself to uh, the newspaper, he picks up that theme before he gets to the statement that we were discussing. He talks about, thanks to this personal experience of faith in the church, mm-hmm. I feel comfortable in listening to your questions. So it, 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 it's, it's that theme all the time, and it's that modernist understanding of faith as primarily an experience that he's building his response to the atheist on. Yes, because for him, faith has no object. It's just a feeling. So it doesn't matter what the atheist thinks or believes, as long as he's believing it in good conscience, that would not be an obstacle to his communion with God. That he doesn't believe in. (laughs) By the way, this is the time to say Chesterton's quote, it's a good thing that God exists because otherwise there wouldn't be any atheists. For those, for those just joining us here on the program tonight, you are listening to Restoration Radio's presentation of True Restoration, and we are speaking upon the very timely topics that were revealed yesterday from Jorge Bergoglio, a.k.a. Francis, uh, who is speaking about atheists and salvation, and later on in the program we're going to speak about uh, the other revelation yesterday about uh, the idea that maybe it's time for married priests. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, ask any questions to His Excellency and to Father, the phone number is 949-272-9417. And, um, you know, Your Excellency, uh, we just had a <laughs> we just had a five-week uh, series of, of sermons that you gave years ago on our From the Pulpit show on the Vatican II series. And mm-hmm. I think this really is... Um, ties quite into everything that was said there. And for those who maybe are on the fence about this, who who are confused uh, as to how this could be, everything we're hearing tonight, that I would remind them that you can go listen to this and it is well worth your time. And ecumenism is the central, is really one of the central pounded points in all those sermons because we're living the manifestation of this right now. We're seeing it. So for those who don't know what this is, you can go to the Restoration Radio homepage and you can find from the pulpit entitled the Vatican II series, and I encourage you to start with part one. You can stream it or download it on demand, and you can drop it on your smartphone, your iPod, your MP3 player, your computer, whatever you want to do, and listen to it. And hopefully that may provide some clarity for those who are confused, hurt, scared, you know, whatever it may be, and it will hopefully provide some sanity to this whole, this whole mess that we're seeing today. But, uh, ecumenism I, I, is, is completely in line with this whole atheism thing. It, it's the primacy of conscience. It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as, as you think that you're 
you know, that you have a religious experience and, and you know, you're, you're happy with your religion. Uh, it, it is to dispense with dogma altogether. Uh, and that, that doesn't say anything about invincible ignorance. I mean, it doesn't in any way uh, address that. It's just simply uh, ecumenism says dogma doesn't matter. So if dogma doesn't matter, well, then the dogma, the first dogma that we say in the creed, that doesn't matter either. <laughs> now, uh, if any of our listeners haven't listened to Bishop Sanborn before, uh, when you go to download the uh, From the Pulpit series that Justin was just referencing, make sure that you have your fire retardant suit on when you do that. <laughs> um now, uh, uh, my lord and father, we have a question on Twitter from a, a gentleman who identifies himself as the Doge of Venice, and uh, he, he asks, uh, would you comment on the scandal caused for Protestants by Francis? They can't believe a pope thinks atheists are saved. Well, I, I think that the only answer is that this man is not the pope. Uh, you know, if you identify, if you give him the papacy, and you identify the Roman Catholic Church with him, you have no answer to the Protestant. You have a, a church in defection. Uh, it is absolutely necessary to remove him from the papacy. It is absolutely necessary to, that Catholics profess that he is not the Roman pontiff, that he has nothing to do with the Catholic Church because of his public denial of the Catholic faith. That is the really only response to Protestants. Uh, the, the, there's no defense uh, of this man, or there's no defense, there's no reconciling what he said with Roman Catholicism. I mean, neither sacred scripture nor the teaching of the Church goes in any way easy upon the atheist. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Catholic Church thoroughly condemns atheism, and the Catholic Church thoroughly upholds the necessity of supernatural faith for justification. So how can an atheist who has no faith, by definition, be justified? So this does not represent the Catholic Church, and, and uh, the conclusion is this man is a heretic, he's not the Pope. He's an anti-Pope. You, you see the... You can see the... Uh, confusion that he has put um, nominal Catholics into, uh, those who try to explain this. And there are all these different attempts that, you know, I've seen over the past 24 hours or so to try to spin what he said in an orthodox fashion. But, I mean, you really, you really can't. The only conclusion is that uh, this comes from someone who is who cannot be the uh, vicar of Christ. Well, let me ask you this, Father. Um, this is something that I think a lot of you know a lot of Catholics would. There are certainly those those of us who are of the Sedevicante position. What practical advice would you give to say someone in the workplace who has to face Protestant questioning on this matter? How do you? How do you break them into this topic? I mean, how do you how do you broach this topic with them uh, and not leave them spinning in circles and wondering what in the world you're talking about? I mean, how would how would you approach this? Well, probably something like this. I say that it's it's a uh, church teaching that to be part of the church you have to have baptism and you have to have faith. And uh, if you uh, renounce 
part of the faith that Christ and the church uh, expect you to believe and require you to believe, uh, it puts you outside of the church. Everyone has a free will. This can happen even in the case of a uh, cleric, a pope, and that the teaching of the church is that when you do this, uh, you put yourself outside of the church and you lose your authority. I think that's the uh, most direct way, really, to to handle it. Do you have any ideas, Your Excellency? Yeah, I would just add to that that you know all of this heresy is confirmed by what we call the praxis. That means that these people, not only Bergoglio, but his predecessors and other members of the hierarchy, the Novus Ordo hierarchy, have been acting like heretics for decades, having ecumenical meetings with all sorts of you know, Buddhists and, and, and you know, doing all sorts of things offensive to, to Catholicism and even offensive to anyone who believes that Christ is God. Uh, that that you know, that this this has been an ongoing problem, and that uh, the the proper attitude for Catholics is to say we want nothing to do with this, and we don't give them one iota of legitimacy, because the faith is at the bottom of all legitimacy in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is a society of faith, and if someone fails to profess the faith, not only is he not a Catholic, but he is radically uh, incapable of leading the Catholic Church. If Catholics do not take that position, they are going to end up compromising their own faith. They are going to end up in the Novus Ordo, and they are in the they are going to end up scandalizing their Protestant friends and driving them away from the the true Catholic faith. Because who would want to have anything to do with Bergoglio? If you believe that Christ is God, what? what you know what would you want to do with Bergoglio? <laughs> you wouldn't even want them living on the same block. Uh, and you wouldn't this, certainly want to be part of his church. And this, in fact, uh, of course, we know from our experiences, priests, has already happened that the uh, defection of so many members of the clergy from the Catholic faith, uh, challenging the different truths of the Catholic faith. Uh, driven people out of the Catholic Church since Vatican II in droves. People end up with the evangelicals or with the charismatics because they say, well, everything now has uh, has changed in terms of what I'm supposed to believe. That, uh, you know, Scripture is no longer uh, reliable. It's, it's basically just stories. Uh, that all the discipline of the Church has changed. And my little intellect tells me that I have to go somewhere where I have some certitude about my salvation if I believe in God. So if I go to uh, an evangelical church, at least they believe in uh, art, some articles of faith from the Bible. Whereas, uh, you know, Our Lady of the Rosary, uh, if it's still named that down the street, they don't believe that. And you could be saved in any religion whatsoever down there. So this is a so you see that in the uh, practical order, uh, th this is exactly what ecumenism has uh, has given us. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think, in my experience, Protestants who do ask me those questions understand what I'm saying. They understand the response, and I think they respect it. That that Catholicism has a certain essence, 
and that that essence cannot change, and that Catholics who are faithful will constantly maintain that essence and therefore reject him, Bergoglio. They understand that. Well, Your Excellency and Father, let me throw a little fly into the ointment here. I can give a personal experience, you know, from my own workplace because I'm the I'm the radioactive hater of you know puppies and kittens and all these good things. And uh, they, uh, I work with several several fundamental evangelicals, and I also work with several devout, devoted Novus Ordites who uh, who are always the first ones to send out company wide emails about. Pray for this and pray for that, and they make they make no no mystery of their Novus Ordo faith, and so they're they're tap dancing around, acting like you know, you know Bergoglio is the best, you know, he's the best thing since peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and then you have me who says, well, he's not even the Pope. How can you say that? And the Protestant there is left to see a <laughs> a, a rather deep conflict. And I can see where that would be something that would, um, you know, leave them scratching their head and saying, "Well, why should I convert to this?" I don't think so, because they have experienced the very same thing in Protestantism. There's a whole, I mean, what you call mainstream Protestantism, is essentially the same as the Novus Ordo, and they can't stand it. They have left those churches and organized their own churches, and. They would see, you know, in a, an obscure way, a certain, uh, let's put it, camaraderie. In other words, that as they are fighting against modernism in their own religion, yes, Catholics are fighting against modernism in their religion. That it is, it is a, a tidal wave that has invaded everything. And they, I think, uh, my experience is that when it's explained to them, they understand it. Uh, and also, they come to understand that Catholics are far more, quote-unquote, fundamental, I mean, real Catholics, than they are. I mean, we hold the line on artificial birth control. They don't. Uh, we hold the line on the indissolubility of marriage, and they don't. And various other doctrines and moral practices, uh, moral doctrines, we are, uh, they would find out that we want nothing to do with evolutionism. That we believe that the first man was created from the slime of the earth, as it says in Genesis. They would find out those things. And I think that um, they might be attracted to it. Because Protestantism doesn't make any sense when you analyze it. But Catholicism does, because it is the truth. And they might be attracted to the truth by a seeing a certain objectivity of truth in the traditional Catholic. That's why I would not hesitate to tell them that we reject this man as, as a, a Roman Catholic and as a Pope. You see the um, same sort of uh, this consistency in uh, applying principles in a number of what you would call conservative Protestant denominations. Uh, I recall reading a statement uh, by the, I think it was the Missouri Synod Lutherans, who condemned ecumenical worship, with even with other Lutherans, because they did not share the same faith. And you can't pray together with someone who does not uh, share the same faith because they're intertwined. And one one uh, sees that, and you see that in certain branches of the the. Uh, Orthodox Ismatics as well, that they realize that uh, on the issue, for instance, say of common worship, uh, with people who do not believe the same as you, they have to hold 
hold the line because they believe there's an objective truth. Yes, so I think that would be something in in a very big and obscure way, Uh, a commonality. Uh, And I think that you might attract actually some Protestants to it. But if you attempt to to justify or in any way defend Bergoglio's statements, uh, forget it. (laughs) Forget it. I mean, you will scandalize them away from the Catholic faith altogether. Yeah, well, I, I mean, certainly they see themselves now, uh, obviously, it, in the light of these comments, they see themselves as far more orthodox than what they see the Catholic Church representing. Well, uh, yes. Well, in the Novus Ordo, uh, I mean, I would say the average Protestant believes more than the average Novus Ordite. Uh, you know, that if you were to take a list of Catholic dogmas, the average Protestant probably would believe more of them than the Novus Ordite. The Novus Ordite doesn't believe any of them because it's all poisoned by ecumenism. He doesn't adhere with supernatural certitude to any dogma. It's all up for grabs. It's all negotiable. And as I said, it's all naturalism. The reason why all those Novus Ordites in your your office are happy is because they've been given for decades now, (coughs) 50 years, They've been given naturalism, that you go to heaven for being naturally good. And and isn't this nice that, that the Pope is saying that even the atheists who are naturally good, and you know, they give to charity and all that, that they're going to heaven too. They can be justified. Isn't this all wonderful? And we're, we're all putting it together. And this is their mentality. And they've been taught it Sunday by Sunday and, and universities and schools. This is their new religion. Uh, so uh, you know that, that's why uh, the, the uh, I, I think it, it would be uh, you would actually get more mileage, so to speak, uh, from a fundamentalist Protestant or, or uh, speaking to a fundamentalist Protestant than speaking to those Novus Ordites. At least the fundamentalist Protestant believes that sacred scripture is the word of God. Those Novus Ordites don't believe that either. They, they you are starting with nothing with them. For those of you just joining us, uh, we're at the bottom of the hour here, roughly halfway through our program, and you are listening to True Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network. And this evening we're joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn um, uh, of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. The second part of the big news stories yesterday was this, again, hinting and dropping lines about the idea of married clergy and that uh, now may be the time to start thinking about this and uh, you know we've heard this before but of course this is probably uh, the loudest it's been over the last few months um, and this was this was revealed by the new appointee to the uh, Vatican Secretary of State Pietro Perlin who says that uh, Bergoglio now believes maybe the time for married priests and I think now is a good time to dive into that topic. If you have any questions or you'd like to speak with our clergy here this evening, you can call us at the number here is 949-272-9417. That's 949-272-9417 if you have any questions or comments on this. So, uh, Your Excellency, would you like to be the one to lead us into this topic on this uh, once again hinting about mar- married clergy, married priests, and the the admonition that oh well this is uh, this isn't dogma this can be changed this isn't this this isn't divine law and uh, it would be good for the church. 
Well, I think the first question is, uh, are they? Uh, what kind of marriages are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> is the pastor Rick's going to marry the curate? <laughs> Or, yeah. or you know what? Uh, yeah, I think that's question number one. Uh, but setting that aside, being somewhat sarcastic, although it, it isn't exa- entirely to be you know set aside, uh, because I mean, again, conscience comes in. If you, if in good conscience, you know, you feel you have to marry your curate. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> go ahead. Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? As he says, right? You know, but uh, but setting that aside, somewhat sarcastically. Uh, the, uh, I mean, is it a, a law of the church? Yes, it is a law of the church. Can the church alter its own laws? Yes, the church can alter its own laws. Um, the, uh, however, it it is so steeped in apostolic tradition that the uh, some theologians would even question the church's ability to alter those laws. That if something is rooted in apostolic tradition and uh, it is considered to be commanded by the apostles there are many theologians who would say the church does not have the the possibility of changing those things and and the evidence points to uh celibacy uh, coming from the earliest times and father chicada knows a great deal about that one of the myths that was promoted in the 1960s when um all of these different disciplinary changes were proposed was that celibacy in the church, the the law of celibacy was uh, essentially something uh, more recent. And one of the explanations uh, for it was that, well, we ended up with a celibate clergy in the West in the Catholic Church because um, there was a, a desire on the part of the church to forbid the abuse of priests uh, who father children from passing church property onto their children. So I remember hearing that uh, several times, uh, that particular justification for it. And that really it was uh, that the East, uh, which, the Eastern Church, which has a, a married lower clergy, uh, that is to say among uh, priests and deacons, that they somehow maintained the ancient practice and that Rome had abandoned the ancient practice, in fact. Also, uh, the uh, idea was that this is something, you know, that this this is a change that should be followed uh, to accommodate ourselves to modern culture and to the signs of the times, to uh, assure that the, 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 the priest is truly one of the people, that he doesn't have a clericalist mentality, and that this would would serve uh, serve these particular ends, but when you look at actually the evidence of history, uh, it's total nonsense that in fact celibacy, uh, clerical celibacy, is an apostolic tradition. The uh, misconceptions about it uh, were uh, arose in the. Um, because of of, uh, the way some laws were written in the Middle Ages. But there was a study in 1995 of the legislation, the history of legislation on clerical celibacy uh, by Cardinal Stickler. Now, those who have followed uh, traditional affairs will uh, recognize him as 
a very conservative cardinal who uh, promoted the Indulf Mass and, and, in fact, I think did uh, ordinations for a number of different uh, organizations like the Priestly Fraternity of uh, St. Peter. He uh, was a historian of canon law, and he traced the history of the discipline of celibacy and demonstrated very convincingly that, in fact, it was something of uh, apostolic origin. In this sense, that um, the priests or members of the clergy who uh, were married uh, before they were ordained had to agree to put aside the use of marriage with their wives, that uh, to abstain from intercourse with their wives, uh, perfect continence, and this was what in fact was uh, expected before one would be ordained to the uh, priesthood and uh, could could uh, function as a priest. So he produces ample documentation about this uh, to to demonstrate that this this uh, absolutely was the case. One of the the fallacies uh, was uh, of people who said otherwise was the idea that well you don't really find a law written about this until the year 325. But Stickler points out that so many things in the church were uh, dictated by custom. So many obligations were handed down by custom. It was only when people uh, violated the uh, custom and the common practices of the church that there was seen to uh, a need to make an actual written law. So there's, it, 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 it is something indeed very, very ancient. And, uh, Father, you would uh, alluded to the uh, Eastern churches when you're talking about that, and that, that's one thing that I see a lot of people bring up. They say, well, the Eastern churches and even the Eastern Uniate churches, they've had uh, married clergy. Although I, when I was doing some reading uh, this morning about this, uh, I, I was reading that the Uniates from uh, Ruthenia and uh, the Ukraine, and at the least, uh, when they reunited with Rome in the 17th century, uh, the, the uh, celibate priests gradually became the norm uh, over the over the decades and centuries, and that it was only relatively recently that they've started having more married uh, clergy. And this was the push for this came by way of uh, uh, Orientalist liberals. So I guess it'd be kind of the Eastern Rite version of uh, archaeologists that we have in the West. Well, even not quite because they didn't get their archaeology right. Um, Stickler discusses not only the discipline in the West, but he also talks about the discipline in the East and how they got to where they did. And he shows that the most ancient sources in the East uh, witness to the idea that a uh, someone who is married and who aspired to holy orders had to uh, give up the use of the marriage right with his wife. And he says that these documents are are uh, very, very clear. He talks about uh, Epiphanius and, and uh, St. Jerome, uh, you know, bearing witness to this. He also talks about a um, one of the, the, the texts that was used to justify... Uh, 
married clergy who made use of the marriage rite in the uh, East was a supposed statement by uh, a hermit named uh, Paphnutius at uh, one of the Eastern councils. But it turned out that this the story of this intervention actually was false. There's no credible historical record for it, uh, no contemporary witness to it. So that it's something that he encountered, uh, uh, you know, again and again. Uh, that that uh, finally there was a um, uh, council in the East, uh, the Second Council of Trollo, that uh, addressed the issue of um, whether or not clergy could marry and then continue to make use of the uh, marriage act, the marriage right. They they tried to find all sorts of, or tried to find a, a some sort of justification in tradition for allowing the practice because uh, in many instances in the East, uh, priests no longer observed it, so they simply wanted to give in to the lack of discipline and, and uh, what the Second Council of Trollo actually ended up doing was uh, taking a decree from a Western Council in Africa and uh, changing the substance of it. And they ended up uh, uh, making it say the opposite of what it actually said. Hmm. So there are all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of historical witness how uh, in the East that in, in fact clerical continence clerical celibacy were the apostolic practice, but it fell into disuse in many places because of lack of regulation and discipline. So when there was finally a union with uh, uh, with Rome, uh, Rome, uh, in effect, gave the Eastern churches a pass on this. Uh, now, uh, <clears throat> if we can... Uh Maybe interrupt this line of thought a little bit. Malord, there's a, a lady calling in that has a, a question that I, I think goes towards what you were speaking about earlier. Uh, specifically, I think her question is about the use of uh, the phrase novus ordite. Um, so, uh, uh, Pauline, uh, you're on the air, and I'll, I'll let you ask your question yourself. Okay, uh, Father and Your Excellency, thank you so much for all of this information. Um, I stumbled upon some of uh, Father's um, YouTube videos, and um, I work within parish ministry. I'm the director of religious education at my parish, and I have mm -hmm. known for a very, very, very long time that something is very wrong. Um, after seeing your YouTube videos, I was um, so drawn in and so interested and seeking, 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 of course, having to do it mostly um, under the cover of talking to, about it to anyone because there's uh, such a resistance. Um, however, I guess I'm asking for a blessing and also some advice because there are many of us, I was born in 1964, don't know anything else. We don't, we don't know anything except the Novus Ordo. My grandparents, my great-grandparents left... Russia as Germans in the Bolshevik Revolution and came to the Midwest as uneducated peasant Germans and I remember the accents that they had when I was little saying go say your rosary you know the, the beautiful way of disciplining all of us and it really stuck it really did even though we joked about it as a family 
that devotion and the understanding that God comes first and that the church is supreme in our lives, it's never, I've never lost it and I'm so grateful to um, my great-grandparents for bringing that from Germany. But so many of us don't know where to turn and I would love to, I don't want to leave the church, the Vatican II church, because there's so many good people who just don't know anything different and they're so hungry for the faith. They wouldn't know, if I told them Novus Ordo, they wouldn't even know what that meant. So I guess I would say, oh, please don't group us all that we're lost and, and we don't care. So many of us love Christ supremely. I can't thank the Blessed Mother enough for what she's done in my life, but they don't know anything different. So where do we begin to help these people turn to the truth? And I'm, I'm terribly worried about the souls that could be lost because they really think anything goes, but it's because they don't know anything different. So I'll be quiet now, and I just want you to know that you are such a blessing. I'll continue to follow you online and listen to your videos and... Um, Thank you so much. I, I just really can't thank you enough. So God bless you for everything you're doing. Thank well, you. thank you very much for your comments. Uh, if I could answer that um, that question, uh, we know that there's a lot of people like, I'm going to talk to her uh, directly, like you. There is in what we would call the Novus Ordo. We, the Novus Ordo for us is this new religion uh, that is not Catholicism, historical Catholicism, but a new religion that has been inserted into the institutions of the Catholic Church. So that people who ordinarily went to Mass and went to their local churches were gradually given a new religion and have been converted to a new religion. And the only term for that is a Novosordite, that is somebody that is in that situation of wanting to be Catholic and intending to go to the Catholic Church and to adhere to the Catholic faith, uh, but who who is uh, unaware of the fact, uh, whether through his own fault or not, uh, of, of the fact that it has changed. Now, there's a great many people in the Novus Ordo who love the changes, and if tomorrow Pius XII were elected, again, you know, maybe he's, tied up in the Vatican someplace, but if he were elected again and promulgated all the dogmas and disciplines of the Catholic Church, uh, they would all leave. Uh, see, those are people in bad faith. They would just leave. They would say, we don't want any part of this. We like the, the new religion. Just uh, That's what happened with Protestantism. The, the, uh, but there are, I think, about 20% of the people in, who are going now going to Novus Ordo churches who know at least implicitly that there's something wrong and something deeply wrong, but like you, don't know what to do. Now, we are required to profess the faith, and, and if we know that we are in the wrong religion, we must get out of it. Otherwise, we will go to hell if we fail to profess the true faith once we have understood that it is the true faith, if we uh, fail to reject what we know is false, we will be guilty before God. And so you could not use the excuse, well, there's a lot of nice people there or they don't know. God will give them the grace to, to know if they are, uh, you know, if they are desirous of knowing him. Uh, and he will he will draw them where they should be drawn. 
you have to worry about your own soul and 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 do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. To that, I would add that um, having realized the difficulties with the post-Vatican II religion yourself, uh, you uh, and knowing many of these people, you are in a uh, good position, at least to uh, convert some of them and to uh, to bring them around. What I find very encouraging, and I've been a um, traditionalist priest since 1977, is that there are, in fact, more and more people uh, like yourself who perceive, who are raised in the post-Vatican II religion, who perceive that there's something that's really wrong that doesn't uh, agree, uh, that doesn't jibe with, um, what they know is the historical Catholic religion, so that's a, a, a that's a, a good sign. And uh, the way to convert people, I suppose, for someone like yourself, is one by one, and do the mm-hmm. best uh, that you can to bring them to the truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I I really I understand, and I. I feel comfortable with what you're saying, except this is the thing that I guess I want to know immediately, and I'm so worried about the souls of my own children. Are sacraments valid that our children have received, such as baptism, um, if they were raised in the Novus Ordo Church? Are the these things sufficient for salvation? The sacrament of baptism, if the ritual in the Novus Ordo rite uh, was followed that um, that is a, a valid baptism but uh, as far as the rest of the uh, as far as the rest of the sacraments go uh, uh, they go from doubtful to definitely invalid hmm. also the fundamental question you have to resolve in your mind is this is the religion that has come out of Vatican II is that the same religion that was before Vatican II was there a change in religion in these Catholic institutions? Or is there continuity? Is this the same religion as before? So we take up a dogma book from 1930. Is it the same as what we're learning now? Uh, you know, or from 1410, is it the same as what we're learning now? Uh, that's the fundamental question. Is all of the sacramental discipline the same? The, the general disciplines of fasting and indissolubility of marriage and are all of these things essentially the same or not? And if they are the same, then there's nothing to worry about. But if there is a substantial change between what was and what is, then there's everything to worry about. That means that you are caught in a false religion which cannot give salvation. It gives the other thing. Whereas it can only be a producer of damnation if it is a false religion. And you have to really think about that. Right. Well, we that, and that also it. does include a lot of study. You know, there are so yes. many people who do not have the the um, formation to be able to even go back and compare. Because even to know, you know, in this year of faith, there's been so much emphasis on the Vatican II documents. That alone, you say that, and you scare away 90% of the people. And they say, I don't even understand what Vatican II is about. I'm not that Catholic. I'm not as holy as you. You know, that whole... And they run away because they feel so... Um, 
insecure about their own faith formation. I see this constantly in parents who send their children to school of religion. They they can't even answer the basic questions. They and were yeah, never we're, taught the basic questions themselves. How do we throw those people the lifeline before? I mean, if I just left with my family, I, I'm at the point where... I'm fine with, I believe me, I've received criticism for a long time, being called orthodox and traditional and, you know, all those things from friends that are kind of saying it jokingly but kind of not. My parish priest, I've been told that in the confessional. Oh, you're so orthodox, like, get over it. But, but I, even if I were ready to completely leave, there are so many people who have not, heard your voices and I, I want to bring them if I can. I think that it would be unloving to just leave. Right, so well, I guess I'm saying one oh one, where what do I hand them? Even if I were leaving and walking out the door tomorrow, what would I hand them? Well there's plenty maybe, up on the internet to hand them. You mm-hmm. could say mm-hmm. look at these sites and mm-hmm. yeah. well and that's where I was just gonna jump in. Sorry my lord and, and father, but uh, uh just to give Pauline a, a bit of encouragement from Another perspective, uh, Pauline, uh, myself, and the other two main hosts of Restoration Radio, Stephen and Justin, all three of us uh, come from the, we were all baptized, uh, um, raised, confirmation, schooled in the Novus Ordo, and uh, we came over. So we've uh, gone through a lot of the same things that you've gone through, the same uh, same struggles, and yes, as uh, his lordship was saying, there's lots on the internet. Uh, you know, the internet yeah. can be for good or for well, you. You know, it's funny. Thank you for saying that because there are times when I feel like, how did I miss this? Why wasn't I yeah. taught this? And you get kind of caught up in the sadness and the bitterness of it. Okay, yeah. so that right there gives me great hope. Well, okay, yeah. you've really been through the same yeah. thing. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I, we, can I say something? You yeah. did yeah. not miss it because the you you understand by faith, by supernatural faith, that there's something wrong at your church. The the Catholic faith and the Novus Ordo Mass and all of its disciplines and ideas and all they conflict, mm-hmm. and so you didn't miss it. You, you retained your faith, and now you're finding that this conflict that has always been in you has a basis in reason and a basis in fact. And so you didn't miss it. And that is that will be true of anyone else who has the Catholic faith, who has, despite all, retained the Catholic faith in the Novus Ordo. They, they will be inclined to the truth by their Catholic faith, and all they right. really have to do is be shown it. Yes. It has to be shown sufficiently because it is a complicated thing, and they have to overcome the idea that, well, we're supposed to you know, be in line and, and, and do what we're told. Uh, they have to understand how, how the hierarchy has deviated from the Catholic faith. That, that, that's essential to it. Uh, otherwise, they'll just stay in it. I'm sorry. Well, thank I didn't you so much. You. I feel like my call has gone on too long, but I... I, I'm so grateful, and I really am in a position to share this information. And so I, I know I'm not the only one listening. There are lots of us who are trying to find comfort within each other to have the courage to talk this way. And so please pray for us because it it is um, it's a very scary position to be in. It's very alienating. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't know how you take yeah, that's I, I mean, I've had, here, uh, I've had, well, I, I just want to, just to let you know, you're definitely not alone. I mean, I, when I was first coming to tradition, I had 
uh, someone who I thought was a friend scream at me in the middle of uh, of, a, of a supermarket that me and my wife were excommunicated because of our uh, going to traditional Latin mass. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so you're not you're not alone in that, and you're definitely going to be in your prayers. And people like you, are you. one of the real reasons Pauline. that we do this radio program. Yes. Very good. <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt you there, Nicholas, but I want to give just my little dime's worth of information here to you. Uh, this is this is a very this is a very good call because this is about what we do, and I can speak from personal experience. I was I was trapped very similarly as you were in the Novus Ordo. I had friends. I grew up in the Novus Ordo. I had you know families that I knew very well and whatnot. And I like you realized that something was wrong. Something was just not there for me. And ultimately, what it came down to me, you asked, you know, how do I just walk away from all this? That was a, that was a question that you asked. And what it boiled down to for me was that I have a soul to save, and am I going to do it in this false religion? That was what it really hit for me. And that's where the rubber met the road, because I have a soul to save. So do all your friends, but you do first. Mm-hmm. And that was what, for me, was really the the impetus to... Uh, break from it. And of course, you know, we've all seen the scandals. I don't need to go into all the scandals that you know, we've seen here, but uh, those were those were those were catalysts as well. I would um I would encourage you to check out there's a there's a video that uh, Father Chicada did and it's for free. It, it was produced with Father and um Stephen called um Sedificantism How to Tell Anne Helen and it's free. The whole thing is free on YouTube. You That's can because check nobody it out. Was it. It. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, we're off, we're offering it at the price that it'll sell at. Okay, so um, I would I would highly recommend that you check that out and okay. uh, continue to keep in contact with us. But thank you so very much for your call. Yeah, it, it's, and it's I have very, one very last. Sure? I just have one last prayer request. This might shock mm-hmm. you, but my son is a new seminarian, so this is very important to me. Sure, we'll keep you in our prayers. Keep him in our prayers. Yeah, and there are so many, so many of his friends whose hearts are being turned, but there's so much pressure on them. There's just so much pressure. He's in the worst and it's possible very, place. It's so he hard. Could be. They're even looked down on if they wear a cassock, and some of the other boys will, you know, ostrich. So anyway, yeah, I know they're not in charge, but please pray for them. Pauling, you're in luck because you see we have. We have Bishop Sanborn, who's a rector of a seminary. Send him to Florida. <laughs> Believe Bishop me. Sanborn, Believe this me. Is... It's in my prayers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pauline. Thank you so very much for your phone call. Keep in touch. Thank Thanks you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, that was that was a wonderful call. We have one more call here uh, who's been on hold for quite some time. I want to get in, uh, Your Excellency and Father, and it goes back to the comments that uh, Your Excellency you made about, um, or that I believe we were talking about, about Protestants uh, see themselves as being more faithful, even unbeknownst to them, to Catholicism than the Novus Ordos do. Uh, Paul, is that your is that your statement, or did you have a question with that? Oh, yeah, I was, I was going to say something about that, but I also really quick wanted to say something about uh, what Pauline was talking about. Sure, go um, ahead. I was just gonna say, um, if you if someone wouldn't be able to like receive like information, like they would just wouldn't be able to understand it, you could always give them like a brown scapular or something, and just tell them to pray, and then hopefully if they persevere, they'll understand later. Well, and, in um, order to wear the brown scapula, you must be enrolled in the brown scapula. 
And the only way you can be enrolled in the Brown Scapular is by a real Catholic priest. So, you know, I, I, and those who do not profess the Catholic faith are not allowed to use Catholic sacramentals. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to inform you of that. <laughs> but that's, uh, you know, but you, you can always pray for people. And, yeah. and you know, it's all, it all gets down to God's grace. I mean, if we find the supernatural truth, it's because of God's grace. It's not because we stumble over it or because it, it all comes down to the grace of God, and the grace of God is is obtained by prayer. So it's the most efficacious thing you can do and really the only thing you can do. And, of course, we have to do what we're doing so that people can find it. That's part of the apostolic mission of the Catholic Church. But we should never think that that our efforts are are in by any means the main effort. I mean, God will draw to Himself whomever He pleases, and and He will do it in various ways. Mm-hmm. So, Paul, what, uh, did you have another comment you wanted to make? Uh, yeah, because uh, I'm um, looking at the I was call screen one of the doctors that I that I know that I go to is evangelical Protestant, and like he, I would tell him that I'm Catholic, and then he would like say all these things about how Catholic is so liberal, and like I would tell him like oh say the Vicantism, but um like at one time I handed him a copy of Nostra Aetate, and um he was he was just so scandalized by that. And he was like absolutely shocked that you would that somebody would say that the Muslims worship the same God as. Um, yeah, so that is shocking. Yes. Well, that's all Vatican too. It's ecumenism, supremacy yeah. of conscience. That's why you have to be categorical about the fact that this is not Roman Catholicism, and they are not Roman Catholics. Objectively, I'm saying, you know, since the the. Uh, that that they do not profess Roman Catholicism, uh, and and that we have nothing to do with this. You're not really seeing or looking at Roman Catholicism when you're seeing all of this nonsense and garbage. And you have to point out to him traditional books or, or uh, statements of popes in the past, like give him uh, Mortalium Animos and see what he says. <laughs> Pius Eleventh says about ecumenism. Yeah. You know, that is the, the the true and real Catholicism. They're they're not experiencing it, and they just love the opportunity to throw rocks at the Catholic Church. There's that too, because the one thing that animates the Protestant is hatred of the Catholic Church. And he will use. I mean, they are united on no other issue except that they all hate the Catholic Church, and that's what gave birth to them. And and so that any time there's any faltering in the Catholic Church. They are, you know, just right there with a rock to throw, and uh, so I, I think that you have to say this is not Catholicism. There's nothing, there's no rock to throw here because this is not Catholicism. I mean, one the time other I thing, took... oh, go ahead. To, um, the other thing I would say is that uh, what you can't give them, uh, and this shows shows the um, parallelist position that uh, many conservatives and. and Many traditionalists are, and what you can't give them is is um, basically sort of a hokey explanation uh, for these different denials of the Catholic faith. You can't um, 
go on the uh, assumption or answer that, oh, well, it's not official teaching. It was only a letter he was writing to a newspaper. Uh, it Or one response that I saw to the um, uh, atheism statement was, well, it didn't appear in the official uh, Vatican doc, uh, <laughs> collection, Act Apostolici Satis. You know, so you, you, so they're you're okay. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is that what I'd say to you is that a someone who actually is a Protestant is actually is concer- uh, concerned about the truth. That is going to be a really goofy explanation for him, and it undermines the credibility that the Catholic faith ought to have for someone like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, thank you for your uh, your comments. Paul, and uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to call in as well. We always enjoy having uh, callers on this show. All right, and thank you for the correction on the uh, sacramentals. Yes, it is a a common practice for people to hand out rosaries and other sacramentals to non-Catholics in the hope that they will convert, but it is clear in moral theology that they should not be using those things until they have been received into the Catholic Church. Uh, now, for anyone who's uh, just joining us or has only recently joined the show, you're listening to uh, The Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network. And uh, tonight we are talking about uh, the two very recent uh, declarations from the, the Vatican II claimant to the papacy, or the claimant to the Vatican II papacy, uh, in quotes, uh, Francis Jorge Bergoglio and... Uh, what he had to say about uh, atheists uh, going to heaven and about married clergy. Uh, we have uh, we are still taking calls. Nine four nine two seven two nine four one seven is our number, and we uh, have a couple callers in the queue. And uh, uh, we're getting a little bit off the topic, but sort of on the topic. Uh, we have another caller who's uh, uh, wanted to make a, a comment with reference to. Pauline's phone call from a little bit earlier, and uh, th- this caller's name is Christy. So, uh, Christy, uh, you're on. If you can go ahead with your uh, comments and uh, any questions you have, please. Well, I was just calling because I listened to Pauline, and her story sounds just like my story, um, you know, almost to a T, same background, same where we live. And um, I have children, too, and I was just wanted to say that there's women out there just like her or families and she should just leave and don't look back like the Lord said you know I mean he saves you your family your friends aren't going to save you and you yes, have there's to, a lot of wisdom in that yes yeah. and, and that's the only thing you have to think of <laughs> Mm-hmm, yeah. Christy, she will believe me. It's it's uh, the seed has been planted now, and it's obviously growing fast. It, it, it's just a matter of time, <laughs> and I think based upon where she's at, I think it's short time. Yes, I, and I really I hope she hears this and, and know that you know there's people out there, and um, just you know if she ever needs anybody, I'm in the Midwest in North Dakota, so. <laughs> You know, we have all been through the same thing. It's just that Father Chicada and I are so old that we went through this thing back in the 60s. You know, that that uh, we were confused and we had, uh, you know, all sorts of ideas that Paul VI was a wonderful pope, but he had a bad entourage and all of those crazy things. 
We all believe that stuff. I'm sure Bishop Dolan did sure. too. And oh, yeah. and then you know you try to all of the Novus Ordo conservative arguments in which to justify this and well the the, the T was not crossed the I was not dotted therefore we don't have to worry. We went through all of that. So you know don't forget we are older than dirt, and and we have just gone through the whole process. We we are we have come out of the car wash on the other side. But the you know it takes a while to to digest all of this. This is a tremendous tremendous thing to to intellectually and spiritually digest. And you have to have a certain amount of patience with people. I mean, I'm glad God had patience with me because I mean I said a lot of stupid things along the way. Father, I do have one question. Um, you know, I like I said, I left the church, the Noah's Ordo, and um, but my family, my parents, my sisters, they all are part of it, and you know, I still associate with them. Is that proper? Well, it, it's the only thing improper about associating with somebody who is in a false religion or uh, in any other circumstance that is contrary to true faith or good morals is if you, if by what you're doing, you would be consenting to their false faith or their bad morals. The, the church does not require you to to cut off everybody that doesn't agree with you, but if you were do something like go to a, for example, attend a marriage that was uh, the result of a, one of these Novus Ordo annulments. Uh, that would be wrong. See, but uh, to simply see your your relatives that that attend the the new mass, as long as it's not a scandal to you or your family, in other words, where they where they might lose the faith or you might lose the faith. And as long as you are not consenting to anything, or that no one would would take your presence as consent, then uh, you know it's all right. Oh, so with yeah, those provisos, you have to. That, then it's all right. But you know, you do have to watch because your children could be, for example, uh, badly influenced by the uh, Novus Ordo attitudes of your cousins or, or you know, uh, it's very possible. So you have to you, you take it all into consideration in all the circumstances. Well, my family's very well that I won't go to any of their funerals or their marriages or I won't go any near their churches. Right. And my children are aware of, you know, believe as, as I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So we don't, but, and we have, you know, we've. you can imagine that there's a lot of turmoil when we talk religion. Well, religion religion has always been uh, a source of turmoil because the true religion requires that we profess what is true in order to please God. And that has not always been popular with people. Witness the ten persecutions of the church under the Roman Empire. Uh, the church has never been without persecution. Uh, the the statement that the Catholic Church is the one true church and it's the only true Christian church and it's the only way to salvation irritates a lot of people. And the, the that marriage is indissoluble irritates a great many people who want their divorces and their live-ins and every, everything else. Uh, the Catholic Church has a very strict morality. It has a very definite set of dogmas. And in a world that loves ecumenism, you're going to see a lot of turmoil if you adhere to those things. So it's, but 
the saints say, various saints, St. John Christensen said it, and various other saints said, there is nothing greater than to suffer for Christ. I always remember that. Absolutely, I totally agree with you. I, I was just, sometimes I just feel guilty because I don't think I go far enough with, you know, um, defending the faith. I sometimes be quiet instead of rocking the boat when I'm around my mother and well, father or my sisters. If you have a good priest, it, see, those are questions because they, they involve a lot of circumstances, and you need to address all of those circumstances to a, a good priest and call him up or because it would be very difficult for me to give you or Father Chikata a blanket uh, advice concerning this or that because there's many circumstances and you have to weigh all of those circumstances in any kind of decision like that. So, Are you in North Chris, Dakota? Yeah. Yes, I am, and, and yeah, we don't uh, have I, any, I, um, any priests here. I was well, just, one of uh, our priests goes to North Dakota. So if you um, contact me through... Uh, the SGG Resources website, I'll put you in contact with them, and you might be able to uh, get some good advice from them. Is it yes, snowing okay. up there yet? No, no, it's really quite nice here. It's very nice. <laughs> but I was going to say, I think that your priest goes to Grand Forks, North Dakota. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. Yes, and that's, okay. that's I think the, the Montana, there's few, um, priests in Montana, I believe, are closer to where I live. Mm-hmm. Are so you in Dickinson would... area, or? Yes, I am. I am in oh, okay. Dickinson. Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, that means Father is going to have to drive about 300 miles. <laughs> but he's young, and it's good for him. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> or, or I can travel to him. Probably too. We have to. We have to keep. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, I was going to say, we have, very much we have several callers in queue here, okay. Christy. Right. Thank you so very much for your call, okay? Thank you. Uh, Justin? Yes. All right, take care. God bless. Uh, Justin? Yes, Father. Yes. Uh, one thing that I, I might be interesting to interject here uh, and have maybe Bishop Sanborn comment on is that uh, you know that the Archbishop of New York, Cardinal Dolan, um, he appeared on a comedy show called the Colbert Report. And the guy who runs it apparently is a fairly um, uh, regular uh, figure at his Novus Ordo Parish who actually knows a fair amount about the Catholic faith. And uh, so uh, Cardinal Dolan went on to, uh, in a sense, to be you know part of the, the foil for the comedy on the show. So he was just... Uh, discussing the situation that we're talking about, in fact, and I managed to pull up the little dialogue here on the Internet between the comedian and Cardinal Dolan. So the comedian says uh, on Pope Francis, I don't care for the guy. Uh, Dolan says, he loves you, Stephen. Colbert says, well, it's unrequited at the moment. I'll tell you why. Here's the thing. He's too soft. He's too soft on sin for me, this Pope. You heard what he said about atheists? He said, even atheists are redeemed by Christ. If even atheists are redeemed by Christ, why have I been going to Mass every Sunday? I could have got another nine holes in. What do you think that means? <laughs> well, so the uh, response uh, that you get uh, from him, uh, from this Cardinal Dolan, is, uh, look, you don't go to Mass to win heaven. You go to ask God for help to get you there. You go to Mass to thank him for being such a great God uh, that he wants you to spend eternity with him. That's why you go to Mass. 
You don't go to win heaven because you can't earn it. It's a gift. He wants to give it to all of us. But the interesting thing about this is you uh, see how in a, in a comedic way this uh, comedian puts the screws to uh, to this guy. Yes, yes, yes. The underlying point is excellent. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. For those of you who are just joining us, it's the, almost the bottom of the hour here on the, the East Coast, 825 on uh, on Friday evening, and we are very fortunate to have our clergy here who are fielding plenty of phone calls this evening. Uh, we're not going to take any more phone calls from this point. We have we have two more calls in the queue here that uh, want to follow up with some questions for His Excellency and Father. And the next caller, um, Your Excellency and Father, is from Kareen, and she's following up, I believe, on Paul's question uh, about uh, giving out sacramentals. And her question is, can I give blessed, uh, can I give blessed miraculous medals? Is that right, Kareen? Yes. Can I give blessed Plus miraculous medals to non-Catholics, because as Excellency said, uh, non-Catholics are not allowed to use plus sacramentals. They're not. Yes, not the 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 problem. Uh, and the answer to that is no, you cannot. And the problem is that if they use Catholic sacramentals, there is a confusion of their false religion and the true faith. It, it is, so that that's the reason why the Church prohibits it. Uh, that that. You have non-Catholics using Catholic sacramentals, uh, and that would perhaps lead, lead to the danger of the mixing of religions. See, so the answer is no, you can't. They have to profess the Catholic faith, they have to be received into the Catholic Church, then they can use Catholic sacramentals. Uh, my Lord, is the green scapular an exception to that, though? I don't see why it is, because it is a Catholic sacramental, whether it's blessed or not. It, it It is to say, I am a Catholic. And if you're not a Catholic, that's a lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but isn't the green scapular, uh, and, and maybe this is something I've been misinformed on, isn't that something that uh, can be kind of given secretly to individuals? It, uh, and uh, you can hide it inside something, and then uh, I, uh, you... I believe that uh, it is. It's not something so much that a um, that a non-Catholic would be used uh, would use, but rather it's something that is uh, that a Catholic uh, would uh, place as an act of devotion uh, of his own devotion in uh, place to pray for the conversion of the Protestant. So it's a little. I think it's a little bit different. I think that's what you mean. You're okay. not actually uh, uh, giving it away to someone. So that's why I wouldn't fall it. Uh, it's a Catholic who's using it in the first place. Yes, yes. You see, then there's no confusion of religions. You know, if you, uh, you know, uh, somehow put it in in his house or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. There's no confusion of religions. So in other words, don't don't give it to them and say, here, please wear this. Correct. Well, that's correct. All right. All right. Okay. Well, Corrine, does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. I guess the only reason I was confused on that is because I remember St. Don Bosco used to give them out to boys, and they would later come to him and be converted. Well, converted in those cases, that wasn't from Protestantism. There, were, there was practically no Protestants in northern Italy, very few. Converted okay. means that they gave up their bad lives. But they were baptized okay. Catholics. Yeah, they were baptized. Thank, Thank you. you.
Okay. Well, thank you so much yeah, for and, your call, Kareem. And, and, and I've got to say, uh, it, even as one of the hosts, I, I didn't know that, so this has been a, a learning experience for me, this show. Um, now, uh, we have another question for um, uh, Bishop Sanborn and Father Chicada, I, I suppose, uh, from Shannon. Uh, I think going going back to the uh, declaration on, on atheists uh, and uh, what impact this might have on the Novus Ordo clergy. Uh, Shannon, you're live on the air. Go ahead with your question, please. Yes, thanks so much. I'll try to be succinct, and I, I want to thank uh, Father Jakata and Bishop Sanborn so much for helping us all. I think there's a lot of us searching, and, and you are a lifeline to us. Thank you. Um, do you think that the this latest heresy spoken by Bergoglio is so painfully obvious that it will finally get through to a lot of the Novus Ordo hierarchy? And surely it will. I pray that it will. But the question in line with that also is, I, I have heard older priests, you know, who were ordained in 58 before any of this began, who have actually said to me in the face of Bergoglio's statements, they've said, our number one thing we have to do is to be obedient to the church. So where will that lead them? And, and thank you for helping us. Thank you. Well, uh, yes, our number one thing is to be obedient to the church. Bergoglio is not the church. So it all goes back to that that problem. Uh, and when you wake up to the fact that these people are not Catholic and they're intruders, then it all fits. But for as long as you think that they are the church, then you go down the drain with them. Uh, that, that's the first thing. But they don't have too much uh, confidence in the Novus Ordo hierarchy. Just look at them throwing up their hands and dancing as they're uh, being taught by lewd dancers uh, in Brazil. That's your, the Novus Ordo hierarchy. Uh, old geezers dancing around losing even their basic human dignity, acting like idiots. That's what is directing this Novus Ordo Church. Uh, and look at the video of the Papal Mass on the Copacabana Beach, uh, which you know, has, has really nothing to do with Roman Catholicism. Uh, that's the Novus Ordo hierarchy, so I would not go for it. I mean, unless there's some... Somebody out there that that has some sense or, or faith, I don't know, but I, I, there's no no one that I know of that will would react uh, in a good way to all of what uh, he's saying, uh, Bergoglio's saying uh, that it might cause some reaction in uh, well-thinking and concerned Novus Ordo Catholics. Uh, uh, yes, I think that they are going through a deep process now and, and a sort of a shock from the time of Ratzinger where they had a model that they could live with, that they had this notion, false though it was, that Ratzinger was the standard of tradition and he was restoring tradition. They had a hope for the future, that the next pope, so to speak, would continue this line and things would be better. That has been dashed, and I think that these things that are coming down, not only this, but many other things that Bergoglio has said and is apparently going to do, is is having a profound effect on many of them. I agree with that. You think they will leave? You think they'll finally get it and leave? I think some of them will, like uh, Father Chiquetta's email. Uh, 
uh, somebody who said I've been on the verge, of, I've been you know on the fence about about sativicantism and what you're saying, uh, and but this is it. This 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 puts me over. Uh, I think that that represents the the thought of a lot of them. I know a Novus Ordo priest who will not mention Bergoglio's name in the in the uh, canon. He's, oh, so a, he's a part of a diocese. He won't mention Bergoglio's name in the canon. He says, I just can't think of that man as the Pope. Oh, and may I ask you, too, speaking of that, what about putting St. Joseph in the canon like they did? Was that wrong? Can you tell us about that? Well, the uh, I mean that Saint Joseph be in the in the canon of the mass obviously is not an evil thing because he's Saint Joseph. But the he was put in the canon by John the Twenty Third in order purposely to break the the shell, if you want, of the canon that it was an untouchable thing, and that has always been considered untouchable by the Catholic Church, the the Roman canon, so much so that Pius X told priests that when they raise the host, they should say, my Lord and my God, but they must not pronounce it, because no word should be added to the canon. That, that's how much it was considered sacrosanct. The, uh, it wasn't because John XXIII had any great devotion to St. Joseph. It's because he wanted to break the, the ice and show that the Roman Mass was something that could be tampered with. And indeed, that was the effect of it. Because that opened the, doors to everything. In the 19th century, uh, there was a uh, petition uh, by uh, a number of bishops in Europe to, I believe, Pius IX to put the name of St. Joseph in the canon. And uh, it was refused. And I think there was another attempt at the beginning of the, around the beginning of the 20th century. And the thinking, though, of, of liturgical scholars also at the time was that the names that you put in the canon should be uh, only the names of martyrs. And St. Joseph was uh, not a martyr, uh, and so his name should not be put in the canon. And uh, second, to do that would, in fact, violate uh, a text that has come to us that's so ancient that has come to us from uh, some popes, say, uh, near apostolic tradition. So that, that's how, how strong the position uh, that was against uh, adding St. Joseph's name. In the traditional Mass that uh, we say, the, the one that's untouched by the reforms of the 50s, uh, St. Joseph gets commemorated uh, a lot on days of a certain rank where he's, he's mentioned in the collect of the Mass. Yeah, so St. Joseph was not neglected at all in the tradition, the true traditional Mass, but then they cut out all of those collects, and so he became neglected. Uh, and uh, But John Twenty-Third was not a pious person. He, he, his agenda was to break that, that, that uh, sacred uh, idea that the canon should not be touched, and the Roman Missal in general should not be touched. Well, well, Shannon, thank you so much for your phone call. We're going to have to move on because we have one more Twitter question here we have to get to, but we really appreciate your phone call, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, Your Excellency and Father, we have one more question here uh, from Novus Ordo Watch who would like His Excellency to comment on 
Francis's recent condemnation of triumphalism and uh, w- what your thoughts on that are. <laughs> oh, that's almost a whole show. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly, we have we have about uh, about twenty five minutes left here. So, <laughs> uh, the uh, well, I I told Father Chicago the other day. I haven't heard that word for approximately maybe forty one years or so, forty two years. Yes, <laughs> and but that was the and Father Chicago will attest to this. That was the term for the Roman Catholic religion among the, the the modernists in the 1960s. Anything that was pre-conciliar, the, 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 what, what is known as Roman Catholicism, that was triumphalism because it was considered by the modernists to uh, be the, uh, the, the sort of a symbol of a church that was victorious over the world and uh, over Satan and that it had all the answers, uh, that it had salvation, and it alone had salvation. Uh, and so it, they considered that the Catholic Church paraded itself, and, and that this was manifested by Pius XII on Asadia Gestatoria with Flabella, those are the, the feather things going back and forth, you know, uh, to, to manifest his majesty and glory, and uh, tiaras and uh, canopies, that this was all evil. You see, this evil, 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 because it showed a church that that had it all and knew that it had it all. Uh, rather, we're a pilgrim church, we're a learning church, uh, we're an erring church, uh, and, and all of the other garbage that they came out with. And uh, you know, we're learning together with all the Protestants what God is really like, and yeah, that that was the idea. So, it, so, but to hear that again, just like oh no! So I say, time stopped for him in 1969. <laughs> that's right. Uh, it was uh, interesting on Marate Chaley, uh, their 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 comment boxes. Uh, people who were younger, of course, were really quite quite puzzled by the term and the, trying to give it some sort of a hermeneutic and some sort of a spin to figure out exactly what was going on. But people like myself and uh, Bishop Sanborn, who actually lived through uh, the 60s and and the 70s in in modernist institutions, we understood perfectly well what it was, that uh, anything basically that stood for the old religion and the old theology. And I recall two things, reading two things recently on the term. One was that the term only appears in an English dictionary uh, for the first time in 1964. Uh, it, it, it shows you what the era is. But then something even uh, better, there was a quote from one of the liberal Belgian uh, bishops at the council that I saw uh, somewhere else. I wish I uh, could track it down. It was one on, the com- uh, on one of the comment boards. His name was De Smet. And he said that the uh, purpose or the object of the council should be to destroy three things, clericalism, legalism, and triumphalism. And uh, it certainly achieved that purpose. Well, that that brings us to uh, Bergoglio's comment that the church should get undressed. Uh, That's another... (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know... uh, (laughs) 
some of the uh, following material may not be suitable for children. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that disclaimer, Father. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, but uh, he he actually said that. In, um, he, uh, I have to tell you, as an aside, he says so many crazy things, it's uh, virtually impossible to track them all. But uh, he uh, wrote that recently to, was it to the uh, Bishop of Assisi or some, some Franciscan? Yes, uh, and, and it's in it, with regard to Assisi, I think it was the prior or so that was in charge of the, the Assisi monastery or whatever. Yes, I think that was it. And uh, that, you know, because St. Francis took off his clothes in order to protest his poverty. His father was very rich and wanted him to be the rich young man. Uh, and uh, it, they, he, as a, a statement, uh, that you know he wanted to embrace poverty, uh, he did that. So uh, Bergoglio uh, decided it was a nice comment to say that the church ought to get undressed, which is I mean, what he probably means by it is another uh, uh, attack upon the hierarchical church uh, and the the idea of the uh, uh, power. Uh, the prestige of the Catholic hierarchy. He wants to destroy that. That's probably what he meant by it, is that we have to uh, come down off of our high horse, so to speak. That's why he got the 30-year-old Renault. Uh, that was in the news lately. Uh, uh, some Italian priest gave him his 30-year-old Renault, and he intends to drive around Rome in this 30-year-old Renault. Uh, as another display of humility. And uh, uh, then, uh, you know, various other things he did all along. Uh, to, well, to there was an article that I just noticed uh, today that said that he has stopped naming uh, Monsignore, Monsignors, yeah. except for members of the Vatican Diplomatic Corps. And that yeah. was one, again, he stuck in the 60s. This was yes. something that was proposed in the 60s. Yes. And in my own archdiocese, Milwaukee, they uh, ever since '64, uh, they had no more monsignors. Yes, I remember so that this, too. This anti-hierarchical everything yes. is is uh, fraternal. So this is his this is his men mentality, sort of the despoiling of uh, uh, the church and putting aside uh, hierarchical symbols. So the uh, the actual uh, quote. Um, for some reason, probably because it's an Italian website, the rest of it won't come up. But uh, his words to the prior were, I want to talk about how the church should undress. Now, you know, let's, let's isolate that meaning that he probably has, which is bad enough. But my goodness, for him to say that after all of the filth of the Novus Ordo clergy... For him to, doesn't he have a brain in his head? And of course, I'm going to answer the question, and that is no, he doesn't. That, that is such an inappropriate thing to say, and could, you know, so easily lead to sarcastic remarks about the clergy and all. Uh, that that it, I mean, this man is completely without any any rules or or common sense. Uh, what an awful thing to say. Church well, yeah. I mean, well, uh, I'm sure every Protestant uh, had a big laugh about that. 
we'll have and it, Lord it all and, ties uh, in with the uh, triumphalism, which is is his code for the old religion. That yes. the uh, church has to get rid of uh, triumphalism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, 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 Lord and uh, Father, I, I think that segues a little bit into what I wanted to ask each of you in the time that we have left, and I'll just uh, let listeners know that if uh, the live stream ends, uh, we're still going to continue recording, so if you miss anything when the things get cut off at the top of the hour, if we end up going that much longer, you'll uh, still be able to get it all on the, the download. But as we've been going, I, I've, my thoughts have been going back to Pauline and her questions. And, uh, my Lord and Father, you, you mentioned your um, uh, experience and uh, uh, maturity as uh, clergy and uh, having been around for a little longer than, than some others. And I think it would be edifying for our listeners, because I, I've heard some of these we could call them war stories uh, from some of your interviews that are on True Restoration Media that you did with Stephen. Uh, I think it would be um, edifying for our listeners if perhaps you could share a, a couple of your war stories from back when you were in Nova Soros seminaries and the, the type of uh, things that, that you had to deal with or the type of things that people would say to you or how, how you were treated. Well, it was a uh, my own particular seminary. The seminary in high school was just fine. It was run by um, Orthodox priests who, for the most part, who gave us a very good formation. But the seminary college, the four years of seminary college, that was really when uh, things started to get crazy. And the you had professors who, not in effect, but in reality, were heretics who did not believe in the physical resurrection of Christ, um, who were, I suppose you could say, agnostics about what you could know uh, about our Lord from the Bible. They treated the Bible as as a a, a book of of stories that you could have all sorts of different uh, opinions about. Uh, There was virtually no... um, article of the Catholic faith that went unchallenged. Un, uh, the teaching on hell, certainly anything like teaching the angels, the teaching on the angels, the um, liturgical uh, antics were absolutely appalling. Improvised uh, prayers, uh, guitar music, um, uh, all sorts of uh, pop music. I was in a, a um, restaurant with uh, uh, Bishop Dolan uh, a few days ago, and the soundtrack uh, came on, and it was a 60s or 70s song by a man named Leonard Cohen, and it was a, a song called Suzanne. Well, all I could think of is having that song, it was a secular song, played at the Novus Ordo. So it was one thing after another, and if you tried to defend the objectivity of truth or the Catholic faith, you ended up being persecuted. They treated you as if you were crazy. Hmm. And they, they, uh, the uh, administration of the seminary tried to purge those who, in effect, uh, professed the Catholic faith. It was a, a really a, uh, a, a terrible system, but you saw the effects of Vatican II uh, from the inside. 
and uh, it be- became uh, so bad uh, for myself that um, uh, I wouldn't even uh, assist at any of the masses at the seminary anymore. And for my last um, semester of seminary college, I insisted on living at home and uh, uh, commuting. It was absolutely terrible. And you, um, and it seemed all around you that every place was terrible, and just about every place was that. You had horror stories from other seminaries, and it was the same thing. Bishop Dolan experienced the same thing in Detroit that I experienced in Milwaukee, and I'm sure Bishop Sanborn experienced the same thing, too, in New York. It was all the same. Uh, we we had particularly bad liturgies. Um, we had Hey Jude on uh, St. Jude's Feast Day. We had Lady Madonna on the the Annunciation with the everything in you know the whole rock band in singing Lady Madonna on March 25th. Uh, that was the moment of my decision that I had to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I started going to the mass in the local parish. <laughs> I would just go early in the morning to the local parish because they they didn't count or didn't care who went to mass. Uh, the uh, I remember the sacristans uh, carrying the precious blood back from the altar because they had communion under both species, and they would carry it back from the altar and pour it down the sacrarium. And that was the way they dealt with <laughs> the precious blood, you know, just as if it were holy water or something. Yeah. And and uh, and then that was that. You see, and and, uh, and communion in the hand and and. Uh, liturgies, you know, like private liturgies that were all odd, and and it, it just it, it, there was not a single thing that you could really take to and say, well, this, you know, well here is something that I can relate to, as they say, or this is Catholicism here. Every single thing that you touched, whether it was the classroom or or the, you know the liturgy or or even other people around you, they hated you because you you took a stand for a tradition. You didn't think too much of them. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was just a, a horrible atmosphere. It was very, very bad. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this has been a this has been quite a program here this evening, Your Excellency and Father. I think there's been a lot of there's been a lot of territory and ground covered in this uh, the show here this evening, and I'd like to uh, I'd like to thank you both for your time. I know this has gone a little bit longer than what we had talked about before on the air, and I think this has been this has been well worth it. Um, I'd like to let listeners know that uh, if you would like to learn more about uh, Bishop Sanborn's work, you can find out all the information you would like. Uh, you can write to him at uh, Most Holy Trinity Seminary at 1000 Spring Lake Highway, Brooksville, Florida, 34602. And uh, donations are always welcome to the seminary. And if you donate $75 or more, you can get His Excellency's newsletters I read them all the time, and they are absolutely fantastic. So I highly recommend that if our listeners have been edified by what they've heard this evening, seriously consider doing this because it will really help bring sanity to this insane world. And for those who are interested in Father Chicada, they can write to him at St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church, 4900 Rialto Road, that's R-I-A-L-T-O Road, Westchester, Ohio, 45069. And you might also want those, to give the uh, give the link, which is uh, sggresources. 
sggresources.org. That's sggresources.org, and that will put you on to uh, links to different articles I've written, information about the seminary, some of the videos that we've talked about, uh, and so on, and a, a lot of instructional information. Mm-hmm. And there's also, and there's also traditional, traditionalmath.org. Uh, I know that's where I uh, got a lot of the articles on my journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's there's yes, a tremendous indeed. tremendous wealth of of, uh, of information on on traditionalmass.org, and it's well organized too. And, and of course, uh, don't forget our own uh, uh, truerestorationmedia.com, where you can get uh, video interviews, and there's a a number of video interviews uh, on there with Bishop Sanborn and Father Chicada, and uh, especially I know Bishop Sanborn has a a history uh, series on there that I'm, I haven't watched yet, but I'm really looking forward to. So there's all kinds of great stuff there. I've seen the first two of the three that were done, and they're they're magnificent. It, it's quite a history lesson. So I would encourage our listeners that if they are interested in checking those out, you can go to uh, truerestoration.org, and uh, you can become a subscriber, or there are videos for individual download as well. And I would also make a, a shameless appeal here that if... if uh, if you found this program this evening to be uh, yeah, beneficial to you or to your faith, uh, and uh, you would consider going to truerestoration.org and making whatever donation is possible, uh, we take one dollar. You know, we we <laughs> we'll take a lot more as well. But uh, don't don't be ashamed to send one dollar if that's what if that's what tonight's program was was worth to you. You can also hear us on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. We're syndicated there, so if you have your your iPhone or you know your smartphone or your Droid, you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and automatically get the shows downloaded. So, at any rate, I want to thank everybody for their time this evening. Your Excellency, I know we've kept you late. Father, I know we've kept you late as well. And I uh, really, really appreciate your time this evening. Okay, well, thank you. It's a pleasure us. to be here. And we will talk to you very soon, and uh, God bless. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.